hockey is a gate driven league and especially during the playoffs. And it's great that a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs are able to have some fans back. And I think that's going to be really, really big. But in terms of financially, every major league team is hurting. And I think the NHL by losing out on, you know, millions of playoff revenue with the bubbles in Canada and also leaving a fair amount of money on the table this year, that's going to be really tough. Welcome into the Miami Herbert Huddle. It's the podcast all about the business of sports. I'm Rich Robinson. On the show today, we go deep inside the world of hockey in the state of Florida. With the Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay Lightning competing in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoff, it has us thinking, is Florida a hockey state now? Our guest is Lane Higgins, a sports reporter for the Wall Street Journal. My name is Lane Higgins, and I am a sports reporter at the Wall Street Journal. I primarily cover college sports, but I also dabble in the NHL and some Olympic sports like swimming. You're from Minnesota, right, Lane? Yes, that's right. Born and raised. So growing up, I mean, uh, was hockey one of your one of your sports that you enjoyed watching or playing? Or So I loved watching it. Um, we had... Basically, because Minnesota is so dang cold in the winters, um, starting in elementary school, you have like a learn to skate unit in gym class and you spend all your free time on either frozen water, you know, either on the lake or in the rink. You know, we had a football team, but they weren't very good. So, you know, the big Friday night event was going to the hockey games and our girls team actually won, stayed a couple of years. And one of the players who's on it, Danny Cameronese, um, won a gold medal with the U.S. women's team in Pyeongchang. So there were some really really good hockey that was happening. And I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go to the Minnesota state high school boys tournament, but it sells out made it yet. <laughs> it sounds like it might be dinky, but it actually sells out the XL energy center where the wilds play and it is electric. So it is, I mean, the high school tournament is one of the most fun things in Minnesota and definitely have some fond memories growing up of watching those games. You seem pretty young, which is uh, which is exciting, and you're already a, a big time at the, at the Wall Street Journal. You know where where did the reporting and the sports where did that intersect for you? Sure. Um, so I swam all through my life and through college. Um, I competed for the University of Pennsylvania, and I. Um, always had kind of an interest in sports. Um, my dad was a football player at the University of Michigan. So we grew up watching games every single Saturday, kind of, I joke that I was brainwashed into being a Michigan fan. And recently, last time I visited my parents, they saw, found a video of me waving a Michigan pom-pom at like 18 months old, screaming hail. So I think I maybe learned the lyrics of hail to the victors before like most other songs, or maybe even the national anthem. Because of that, I always had an interest in sports and I went to college knowing that I wanted to write and I joined the newspaper there thinking oh this will be a great way to make friends with other athletes I'll get to interview them this will be fun then the first um, assignment that I ever got was to cover a men's soccer game where our team was playing against Georgetown who at the time was like the number three team in the country and was like I don't know if they had just won a national championship but like they had been in the final four of the men's soccer tournament and we just you know they cleaned the floor with us and I had to go up and ask the players after they had this brutal loss. I was like, so, you know, tell me how that went. And I realized, okay, you know, maybe not going to be making that many friends from this, but it was still a really fun experience to be able to have that electric energy of being at the games and kind of writing about the people that are behind the plays. And that was something that I 
really enjoyed doing throughout college. I spent all my summers in college interning at various publications and, um, you know, was lucky enough to intern at the Wall Street Journal after college and eventually after a fair amount of hustling, um, turn that into a full-time job. So it's, it's been great so far. So tell us what that's like though. So you're at the Wall Street Journal. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty much the pinnacle, one of the pinnacles of American journalism. And you do it at a young age. I mean, how does that feel when you, when you walk in the newsroom for the first time as a, as a paid employee? Oh, it was insane. Imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> I felt like I was playing dress up in my work clothes for the longest time. And, um, you know, my first job there was as a reporting assistant for the weekend business section. So it wasn't even that tangential to sports, but it was at the company that I wanted to work for. And I tried to use that experience just to be a sponge and learn as much as I could. And one of the things that I really miss about the newsroom, because I have been in the newsroom for approximately one hour in the last, you know, 16 months, is it was so fun to eavesdrop on people's conversations and just listen to the ways that some of these incredible reporters, you know, asked questions and how they interacted with their sources and, um, you know, the team that won a Pulitzer for the coverage of the Stormy Daniels affair and whole saga with President Trump, um, they sat a couple rows behind me when I first was there. And, you know, not every, obviously when there was sensitive calls, they weren't doing them out in the newsroom, but, you know, being able to kind of be on the fly, be a fly on the wall and sort of observe some of the big picture ways in which they were reporting was a really, really cool experience. You know, it still doesn't really feel real when I tell people like, oh yeah, this is where I work. I usually just say I'm a sports reporter because that feels more legitimate to me. But um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a blast and it definitely, our sports coverage is different and it's not, we're not like an ESPN where everybody knows we have sports, but I think that the people that do know the Wall Street Journal and do read it really appreciate what we write. So it's been, I mean, I grew up reading it every morning when I was in high school. So it's right when it started. So it's been you know, really, really cool to be able to contribute to that now. You're from Minnesota. You live in New York. Both mm -hmm. of those places have so much hockey history and, and pedigree. I'm talking to you from Miami, Florida, University <laughs> of Miami podcast, Herbert Huddle. We don't really have a hockey pedigree as far as, uh, as far as history. Now we've got a lot of Canadians who live here, a lot of New Yorkers, but, right. but uh, so there's that. Of course, you got the Florida Panthers founded in 1993, and I think the Lightning were founded a year before mm -hmm. in Tampa Bay. So there are two hockey teams. Both of them are competing against each other right now as we speak. Tell us about the significance of this series, these, these two hockey teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the Governor's Cup is something that did exist in Florida before this playoff series. So in theory, the foundation has been set for there to be a rivalry, but in order for there to actually be a competitive rivalry, you kind of need both teams to be good. And just by nature of hockey being a little bit cyclical, both teams were never really good at the same time. And that the Panthers had this early burst of success while Tampa was quite frankly, awful. And then the tides turned, Tampa won a cup, but the Panthers were bad. And then, you know, it, it has taken a long time for both of them to sync up. And, you know, I think, this rise by the Panthers looks to be one that's a little bit more sustainable, given that, you know, this was not expected to be a one year rebuild with the new GM, you know, a second year coach, a lot of new players coming on, but, you know, they've really been able to put it together. And I think hopefully that means that this team will continue to produce in the same way. And, you know, I think over the past few years, definitely the last 10 under um, Vinick's ownership, the Tampa Bay Lightning have totally transformed into a club that's a perennial playoff team and 
they're able to attract players, keep them and keep them happy. And I think also just the quality of hockey that they've established in Tampa Bay has won over a lot of fans too. And I think, you know, if you have a really compelling series against two teams that are really great, it's, it's can't miss television. Like you're going to want to watch it. Whereas if it's just going to be a blowout every time, like you're going to turn that off. And I say this as a Michigan football fan who's had to suffer through some blowouts in recent years in, on Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> well, speaking as a Miami sports fan, I'll tell you this. Uh, we may not be the best sports city, but when the team is in the playoffs, we'll support that. We'll show up to those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Miami Marlins, the then Florida Marlins, I believe this is right, had at the time, it may not be anymore, had the most fans ever in a major league baseball game playoff. Cause it was at the dolphin stadium. It was like 70,000 people. Yeah. So, you know, cause they show up. So we have that kind of trend too, but, but tell us a little bit about hockey in a non-traditional market. So obviously you, it's not just Florida and Tampa Bay. There's a team in Arizona. There's a Some team Texas. in, in yep. Texas. There's yeah, exactly. There's a team in, uh, in Las Vegas, that's very good. The the Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that about? I mean, you know, in a place where it doesn't even snow or it doesn't get cold enough for there to be ice, how does this make sense? I think it sort of depends a little bit on the market, but especially in places like um, Arizona and Florida, where there's these sort of vibrant snowbird communities, where it's people that grew up maybe in Northern climates and were exposed to the sport at younger ages and maybe have an allegiance to, you know, the Rangers or the Bruins or some other team. And then they come to a warmer place. They maybe weren't huge fans of that previous hockey team, but they've had enough exposure. And if there's a little bit of a local culture around it, those sort of fans that are not complete acolytes to it can be great um, for a fan base. And I think that's really helped Florida. And I mean, it's a double-edged sword because you do have some people that like hockey, but might not be rooting for your team. So we'll only go to a Panthers game when they're playing the Rangers, for instance. But I think it does help kind of get some exposure and, I think one of the things that's really, really big and growing hockey in these places is the NHL and the franchises have made a concerted effort to open more rinks and grow youth hockey programs and really have some grassroots efforts. Um, And I think that goes a long way because if you grow up a fan, you're much more likely to raise your children as a fan if you have fond memories of that. And if you play the sport, you're much more likely to be in tune with it. And I think if you just look at how many more rinks have opened in South Florida in the last 20 years. Like it's unbelievable. And you're starting to see NHL players like Shane Gosha's bear. There's players that have, you know, come to the NHL and are now at the highest level of hockey who grew up playing in Florida. And I think that's a testament to how the pipeline has changed because, you know, in the nineties, you weren't really seeing any Floridian hockey players. And so obviously you're from a place where there was high school hockey and you know youth hockey and it was a big deal down here there isn't really not much high school hockey maybe a few have a club and maybe they'll drive 100 miles and play each other but it's not a, really a big deal here is that is that an important part of the firmament do you think does it does a place need that kind of infrastructure to to eventually get to that sort of scale where you've got you know you maybe you can have one or two players come out of a place but obviously you're not going to have you're not going to become a hockey mecca unless you have sort of a youth structure or is that not true I mean, I think some of it's a numbers game, right? And that, you know, only say 2% of all hockey players are going to go pro from any given Metro. Well, if you have a hundred hockey players in Florida, that means two, but if you have like 5,000 in Minnesota, then that's, you know, a lot more that are going to be able to make the league. And 
I think that, you know, having some of those hometown stories is also another way to win over fans, maybe not just of a team, but of the sport. If you have a local connection and say, Hey, this was my neighbor and he's now in the NHL. Like I want to watch his games because I know him. And I think that you can definitely have a strong following without that. I mean, if you look at the way that the Tampa Bay lightning have grown, like obviously there are a few teams around Tampa at the youth level, but it's not like, you know, in cigar city, there's a huge youth hockey culture, but the way that, um, the Vinicks have integrated themselves into the community and done a lot of outreach and made it not so much about the sport, but about a greater group that's supporting the lightning. And, you know, they've done a lot of community service efforts and all those watch parties they have outside Emily arena, like they've made it a destination of something you want to do with your friends on a Friday night. And I think that, that also goes a long way. So if you can't have all of the same, you know, player development of like the youth at the youth level, there are other ways to do it. And I think, yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay has got to be a model franchise for a lot of these warm climate teams. We'll take a quick break from our conversation with Lane Higgins for this word from the Miami Herbert Business School. The only constant in life is change. Change is a dynamic force that moves through everything, our personal lives, our professions, and the roiling markets of the world economy. How we adapt to this change and how we reinvent ourselves in response will define us, especially when that change produces a trial and the things required of us are so tough. Our city of Miami has shown resilience in the face of many trials and has used those moments to propel profound transformation. To harness the forces of transformation, We need to build resilient leaders who have the knowledge and courage to change everything. Here at the Miami Herbert Business School, we're preparing the next generation of leaders for the bright future that will lie ahead once this trial is passed. We're prepared to confront the unknown. And we're here to help you build your future. If you want more from our conversation or wish to see it in video form, you can find it on the Miami Herbert Business School YouTube channel. You can also watch past episodes from important figures in the sports world, like Vladimir Klitschko, David Sampson, and Kim Stone. Just type in Miami Herbert Business School into the YouTube search bar, and you'll find it. Interested in getting your MBA? Visit herbert.miami.edu to learn more about the various degree programs that Miami Herbert offers. Now, back to our conversation. If you're a top player from Russia or from Finland or wherever, mm-hmm. and you, you get drafted by the Florida Panthers, don't you think that they go, oh, I don't want to go to Florida. I want to go to the Detroit. I want to go to the Islanders. <laughs> I want to go to Ottawa. I want to go somewhere which is a hockey society, or do you think that's not the case anymore? I mean, maybe, but, you know, I was talking to someone who played for the Panthers and in the 90s when they were first there, and he was saying that he loved it because – he could walk to practice in flip-flops and, you know, Sam Bennett just got traded from flames and, you know, it's still deep winter in Calgary where he was, he comes down to Florida and he's like, Oh, this is great. I'm all tan. Like, I think you might be a little bit confused and it's gotta be a little bit strange to walk from like 90 degree humidity in Florida into a freezing cold ice rink. But like, then again, every place that's air conditioned in Florida is kind of feels like an ice rink in the summer anyway. So it might be one of those things that's a little bit different and wild, but it also might be totally fine. And, you know, I think it's sort of funny, the wild rookie, um, Kirill Kaprizov, he 
was in the KHL for a couple of years in a town in like middle of nowhere, Siberia. And when he was first debating coming to the NHL after the wild drafted him, he played in Russia for like several years. Um, he was saying, you know, Oh, what is Minnesota like? And people are like, you know, it's kind of like Siberia. And, you know, as someone that grew up there, the winters are tough. Like I wouldn't be super thrilled about going there if I was an NHL player, like it might be nice to find somewhere in the middles. So I don't know. I think that can go both ways. And then from the league perspective, obviously the Florida Panthers, I saw a Forbes report, you know, and who knows how true this is, but apparently they were one of the lower, you know, uh, uh, you know, teams that are worth, they're kind of like number 30 out of 31 or whatever it is, yeah. you know, they're, they're in Arizona's last. So, you know, these are teams that are on the margins of the league financially, and they also happen to be in warm weather climates. And I don't think the lightning are, are a particularly uh, wealthy franchise either from your reporting and your knowledge of the league, you know, in the league office in the NHL, do they really care if the Panthers are successful or would they rather the blue buds, blue bloods be there every year? You know, that's a tricky question because obviously if you're just going for TV ratings, you want the blue bloods, right? And, you know, we always say that when it's going to be a Super Bowl, when it was, you know, Patriots Rams that one year, it's like a media market bonanza. And that's definitely something to consider. But I do think that at the end of the day, you want every single club in the NHL to have a chance to be competitive. And if you have a group that's having, you know, multiple seasons in the gutter and just not doing well, it's not going to help you grow the sport there. And you're maybe are going to lose that whole market. So it's better to kind of spread the love a little bit, I guess. Um, and I think a function of why some of those franchises in warm weather climates are value lower is just because like they have less attendance. And I think until this year with COVID, I mean, who knows what the Panthers would have been able to draw um, because they had such a great run, but they historically have been among the worst teams attendance wise in the country. And I think part of that is the old arena where they used to play in was in downtown Miami versus now they're out in sunrise. And that's just like a little bit more of a trek. And it's the same thing with Arizona in that Gila river arena is not super central to downtown Phoenix. So it's kind of in a spot that's not the greatest, but at the same time, it's like across the street from where the Cardinals play and people clearly go out and see the Cardinals on Sundays. So it's a little bit hard to know, you know, why people don't necessarily decide to go to the games, but I do think that, you know, you want some sort of, you, I mean, you want both, right? And if you can't have a blue blood team, like, you know, an original six franchise in the Stanley cup, you want a star. Um, and I think a lot of these warm other teams, like they do have all stars on the teams and like Sasha Barkov, he's exciting to watch. And, you know, who knows if he'll be in the Stanley Cup final, but I think that is something that could be compelling and help grow the sport. It just may be a different type of strategy that you're going for. You wrote an article about this very topic a few weeks ago that ran in the, in the journal. What was, um, what was the thing that surprised you the most when you were doing your reporting that you learned or, or found out about, about this series? Yeah, you know, I thought it was funny that it didn't have a name because, I mean, hockey's names aren't the most creative and that it's like the battle for Alberta or, you know, the battle for New York. It's basically just iterations of that with a different geography, <laughs> but I was surprised that there wasn't a name there. And I was also shocked that in the 90s, there was such a big following for the Panthers when they first arrived. And, you know, the whole throwing of rats, like I know that's something that's come back recently, but it's... 
I love those little weird traditions about hockey. And as someone who, you know, was just not really conscious of the Florida Panthers being a good franchise back in the nineties, I was so surprised that that was, you know, a huge piece of who they are and that there is now a dedicated fan base. And especially some of those older fans that were around in the nineties that have come back and are remembering those great times. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I remember I was a very young kid then, but that was a big deal in 1996. And yeah, that was a true story. They actually, uh, I think it was Scott Mellonby, I believe the captain of the team. He like, there was a rat in the, in the, yeah, in the locker room, room and he cross-checked the rat and then <laughs> in classic hockey style. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so, and even, I think it's funny, you know, the Panthers, a lot of people think, well, it's just the Florida Panthers, like the Carolina Panthers or another Panther team, but actually there's a, there's an animal called the Florida Panther. Like there's like a the real reason animal, for why right? it's, yeah, it's a real yeah. it's a, it's a state animal. So it's a lot is it's more more texture there than than a lot of people probably know but um yeah. finally, this may be a hot take but i think that their logo is actually one of the coolest in the nhl the new you know, one the, the well yeah i think the like the 3d panther like coming out at you is a little bit weird but i think the the like the new ones are pretty like i like the colors like it's a nice jersey but i know that's more not than me it looks kind of like a like a european like a very European, almost soccer kind of club is what it yeah, looks like to me. It does. Yeah. And they have that, um, they have something like on the shoulder where it's like, I think the outline of the Panther and then the flag, like, I think that's a really cool touch that too. Cool. I like that. Yeah. So kind of broadening it out here to the, the, N the NHL, uh, generally, how is the league doing? I mean, is it in good, is it in good steed? Has it survived the pandemic? Well, what do you think? I mean, Hockey is a gay driven league and especially during the playoffs. And it's great that a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs are able to have some fans back. Um, and I think that's going to be really, really big, but in terms of financially, you know, every major league team is hurting. And I think the NHL by losing out on, you know, millions of playoff revenue with the bubbles in Canada and also leaving a fair amount of money on the table this year, that's going to be really tough. And I think how we're going to see that play out is in salary cap and that it might actually go down and the amount of an escrow that the players play or that the payer can't even speak that the players pay off of their salaries is definitely going to go up. And I think that's going to have some trickle down effects where actually these teams in Florida might seem more attractive to players because they don't have income tax. And I know that's a big draw for, I mean, why Tom Brady came to Tampa because your money goes farther. And in Canada, the franchises up there have bigger taxes and, you know, the economic realities of all of this just do trickle into the way negotiations work. And I think that we might see some movement like that in the future, especially amongst these can Canadian teams. Now that there's an expansion draft with the Seattle Kraken coming in this summer, we might see some players in Canada that are like, you know what? I wouldn't mind having some lower income taxes, like sign me up Seattle, especially ones that are like in Vancouver, which is, you know, stones throw away in theory, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how adding a franchise helps because that does technically, it should lift all the boats in terms of more revenue, but I think it's going to be several years before the NHL recovers, especially because, you know, not so much even in the NHL, but the minor leagues took a huge financial hit this year too. And I think that you might see maybe some trickle down effects in the way that the pipeline changes for some of these teams and that there might just not be as many players in the minors that were able to swing it this year because there just wasn't the opportunity. Yeah. I think I read too, that the Panthers and lightning are actually sharing the same yeah. team. Is that right? <laughs> 
Yeah. So I think it's the Panthers is like the Charlotte checkers and Charlotte, not Charlotte, um, but they, um, they opted out of the season. So the Syracuse crunch, which is the lightnings minor league team, they are sharing them this year. But I think that the way the Panthers incorporated their taxi squad, where they basically just had like a much bigger roster actually alleviated some of the growing pains of potentially sharing, um, you know, a development system, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when that goes back to normal. Cause I don't, I don't fully know if all of the players that were signed with the checkers could have just like migrated to the crunch or what exactly happened there. But it is definitely one of the weirdest things you've ever seen when you have two rivals that are basically sharing a farm system. That is bizarre. Yeah, very much. So what is it like? I mean, obviously you care a lot about hockey. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're trying to always fight for more hockey stories in uh, in a national newspaper uh, do you feel like hockey gets enough attention in america or is it the right amount of attention what do you think um it definitely is like the kind of ugly stepchild of the four american sports or like the major sports and that like it's i mean in terms of media coverage and just general knowledge that people have of it and i think part of it is that you don't necessarily you can't just like pick up a puck and skates and just go do it in the same way that you can toss around a football or a baseball or a basketball. And I think that that does kind of make it a little bit less accessible to people. Um, I mean, in Minnesota, you can kind of just strap on skates in the winter and go find a lake. So that's a little bit different, but I do think that there's a very, very passionate fan base for it because every time I write a hockey story, I get more emails from readers than I do for almost anything else, but it's, like a very small concentration where I feel like it's like a lot of huge fans, not a lot of medium fans. And then people that have no idea what hockey is. And whereas other sports, there's more of like a middle ground of people that are maybe somewhat aware of what's going on. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see more hockey coverage, but also by the flip side of that, it's great that it doesn't because the players are so much more humble and they're so down to earth and talking to them Granted, you do sometimes have to wade through some hockey bro speak like you do for any professional athlete, but I do think that um, they're a lot more just real people and they're, you know, less celebrity diva attitude when you talk to them that, you know, interviewing them is a joy. You mentioned something about the economics being gate driven in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? I know that the NFL and Major League Baseball, for example, kind of it's kind of a split three ways. You've got revenue sharing you've got television rights and then you've got gate and merchandise and things like that kind of, kind of equi, you know, uh, balance there almost depends on the franchise, but in hockey, you're saying it's, it's overwhelmingly gate or it's dramatically more gate than the other leagues. Yeah. So I don't off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact breakdown, but like, you know, obviously there is a broadcast contract and I think that it's in the process of switching right now from NBC and TSN to ESPN, but there is a huge reliance on ticket sales. And especially at the club level, when it comes to a lot of the expenses that they have on their players and their rosters, like if your team makes the playoffs and has a deep run, that's like potentially, you know, minimum, well, not minimum, minimum four perhaps, but um, you get a lot more games when you can either have watch parties or have fans in your building and sell tickets to that. And that's huge. And, you know, in the same way that an NBA franchise would have that per se, but their broadcast contract is so much larger that it makes up a bigger portion of what the revenue is. And I think, yeah, for whatever reason, just the way that the rights have been negotiated, hockey is much more reliant on ticket sales. And the players, just for 
maybe the audience members who don't follow hockey and don't understand the economics as well, the players do get paid considerably less than other yeah. professional athletes on right. average. So the salary cap in hockey this year was like 81 million. And then I think in the NBA, it was 102 and like the minimum salary in the NHL is something like 700,000. It's 700 mid 700s. And in the NBA, it's 900 something. And, you know, you look at, I think Alex Ovechkin has the biggest contract in the league and he's making 124 million over 13 years. But if you, you know, parcel that out per year, it's actually like not that much when you consider that, you know, Giannis, who's the biggest, has the biggest contract in the NBA is making like 250 million over like a much smaller time frame. So yeah, the hockey players are getting paid less and um, it's just the economics. There's just less money getting thrown around all around. But the season is just as long as in the NBA and the sport is probably way more grueling physically on them. Mm-hmm. You would think, I mean, especially when you hear the stories of like um, Chara who played in the playoffs with a broken jaw and like missed zero games when that happened. And like, these guys are tough and it is a brutal sport, but yeah, you know, they get paid for all 82 games of the regular season or 56 this year. And um, you know, playoffs are just kind of icing. That's all we have for this episode of the Miami Herbert Huddle. Thanks to Lane Higgins of the Wall Street Journal for being on the show. If you want more from the show or want to see our great guests on screen, you can find it on the Miami Herbert YouTube channel. New episodes of the Miami Herbert Huddle are uploaded every other Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our feed on your favorite podcast app in order to get it in the future. And be sure to rate and even give a review of the show if you have a few seconds. The producer of the Miami Herbert Huddle is Marlene Liebisch. Special thanks to Dean John Quelch and Vice Deans Hendrik Kronkvist and DJ Nanda. Additional production support is provided by Rise News Brand Studio. I'm Rich Robinson, and we'll see you next time in the Miami Herbert Huddle.